As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we are beginning this brand new uh, sermon series called Christmas Crossroads uh, because this time brings a lot of hopes and a lot of fears. Uh, and they're all met in the same person. As you just saw in that video, they're all met in the Christ child. But this is a time when hopes and fears kind of take over our emotions. Uh, we're going to talk about fears in the next coming weeks, uh, but today we're going to talk about hopes because we all have them, right? We all have hopes. We hope for health in the future, for continued health. We hope for better relationships. We hope that Christmas time brings us exactly what we want under the tree uh, or exactly who we want. We hope for a better new job in the future. We hope for financial security. We hope for peace. We hope that our children grow up and do well in the world. We hope and we hope and we hope. It's hope that kind of keeps us going, isn't it? It's hope that puts the pep in our step, if you want to put it that way. It's hope that keeps us going. But have you ever felt hopelessness? Have you ever felt what it's like to have no hope or to lose hope? Maybe it's not even a big thing. Maybe it's watching your your favorite sports team and you start off the game and and you're filled with hope that you're going to win the game and yet as soon as the game starts, uh, you slowly start to lose hope until you realize uh, there's no hope. Uh, maybe it's you have this huge hope for this date that you're going on, and you get to the date, and, and quickly your hopes are dashed as it starts off rocky, and it, the rest of the date continues that way, and, and you lose hope. You see, hope is all about our circumstances, right? Hope is uh, the expectation that things are going to change for the better, that things will get better. That's what hope is. And it's eagerly expecting that to happen. Hopelessness comes when we're expecting these things to happen and yet nothing changes. Instead, it gets worse. And that's when we lose hope. And so it's important for us, especially during this time of year, to figure out where hope comes from and how can we maintain that hope. Hopelessness is what we're talking about. Hope and hopelessness is what we're talking about today. And to do so, we're going to look at Luke chapter 1. If you're new to the Bible, uh, or if you just don't know much about it, uh, there's four biographies of Jesus in the Bible. The Bible's kind of a collection of books. There's 66 books. Four of them deal with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke is where we're in today, and he's a historian. He, he goes out and, and he uh, is a reporter. He, he interviews people, and then he writes down his interviews. And what he gained from them. And so while Matthew and Mark start their their biography of Jesus while Jesus is already alive uh, and 30 years old, Luke says, no, 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 we're going to go way back to the beginning before Jesus is even born. And we're going to go way back there to a man named Zechariah. And so we're in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to begin with verse 5. Here's where we're at. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Alright, some background information. And this is important because I wonder if the Jewish people are feeling hopeless at this time. 
God had promised for thousands and thousands and thousands of years that from the Jewish line, a Messiah would come. But the last time he sent a prophet, the last time he spoke to his people, 400 years before this. God, you said that the Messiah is supposed to come from our line, and yet it's been 400 years since we've heard from you. Have you forgotten about us? Did you abandon us and we don't know it? Is your promise really going to come true? It's been 400 years since we've heard from you. And on top of it, a guy named Herod is king of Judea, king of those southern tribes. And this is important because God had told Israel that a, a descendant from King David's line would always be on the throne in Jerusalem. King Herod, though, he was not a Jew. He was an Edomite. Who are the Edomites? If you remember back in the Old Testament, Jacob and Esau, twin brothers. From Jacob comes the Jews. From Esau comes the Edomites. So he's cousins with the Jewish people, but he's not a Jew. And he treats them like uh, not a good cousin. Uh, He taxes the Jewish people extremely high, and he gets really wealthy off the Jewish people. He was appointed to the throne uh, by the Roman Empire uh, at the suggestion of Octavius and Mark Antony. And the Roman Empire said, yep, we're going to place him on the throne to rule over the Jewish people. And and this guy was an arrogant guy. Uh, In Jerusalem sat God's temple, and right next to God's temple was Herod's palace. Same equal playing field. Herod's mindset was, I rule the physical life of the people. God, you rule the spiritual life. We're kind of co-equals in this, God. Uh, Herod would say, God, I don't necessarily think I should be above you, but I don't really think that you should be above me either. Uh, I will ask you for help when I need it, and if you ever need help from me, you ask for me. If you ever have that mindset that God shouldn't be above you, and that his authority shouldn't be above you, that's Herod living inside of you. This is the type of guy he was. And this is the type of ruler who's on the throne. And on top of it, you've got the Israelites looking at the Holy Land that at one point in history was the most coveted piece of land in all of the world. And now their land is the biggest eyesore in the Roman Empire. The Israelites look around and they say, wait a second, God, we haven't heard from you in 400 years. We've got this horrible king on the throne, and the land that you promised us is an eyesore. Where are you, God? And God seemed to go silent. They hadn't heard from him. It's within this time period that we're introduced to two other people, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest, he was a pastor, and Elizabeth came from Aaron's line. She's a descendant of Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother back in the Old Testament, uh, the very first high priest that the Jewish people had. And this was during the time where you didn't get to pick your career. And so if you came from the line of Aaron, you were a priest or a pastor. That's what you did. And so what we have here is a a ministry family. you got Zechariah, a priest who married a pastor's daughter. And, and this is who they are, their ministry family. We learn more about them. Both of them, Zachariah and Elizabeth, were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now, this doesn't mean that they were perfect. They were sinners. 
uh, just like you and me, but in, in God's eyes, uh, they were righteous. Why? Well, how do you become righteous in God's eyes? You trust His promises. And that's what they did. They trusted God's promises. They observed all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So outwardly, uh, the people couldn't blame them for anything. They lived a very good Christian life. These are the type of people where you look when tragedy strikes and you say, oh, they're such good people though. How could something like this happen to them? That's the type of people they were. And that's probably what the people were doing. Because look at what we're told. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. The Israelites, tempted to question where's God, tempted to lose hope because God hadn't spoken to them in 400 years. Within the Israelites, there's a family here who's tempted to lose hope as well. Zachariah and Elizabeth, pastor and pastor's wife, all they wanted was a child. They prayed for a child in their 20s. They prayed in their 30s. They prayed in their 40s and 50s. They prayed, and now they've stopped praying because now they're very old. She can no longer conceive. Not that she could anyways to begin with, but she's past the childbearing years and all they wanted was a child and yet God seemed to go silent. How do you think they were tempted to respond? Do you think maybe they got a little bitter? God, all we want is a child. Is that really too much to ask? Do you think maybe they they, they got a little entitled? God, we've dedicated our lives to you. We've dedicated our lives to ministry for you. The least you could do is give me a child. Do you think that they were tempted to be rebellious? God, it's not even worth following you. We followed your your commands, your laws and decrees. Outwardly, we're living for you. And you don't give us what we want? Maybe you aren't real. You remain silent when we pray to you. Maybe you're sitting here today and, and you can kind of relate to them. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, you know, I... I don't really think I'm perfect, but I've lived a pretty good Christian life, and yet I'm praying to God and praying to Him, and, and He's remaining silent. Maybe you're like Zachariah and Elizabeth. Maybe you wanted children, maybe you want children, and you prayed and you prayed, and yet God's remained silent. Maybe you want a family, maybe you want to get married and have kids and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and yet God still isn't leading you to that special someone. Maybe you're in a financial crisis and you know that God says that He takes care of all of your needs and so you pray and you pray and you pray and yet God's silent and, and things aren't getting better. Maybe you want a new job where uh, you're respected, where you're paid what you think you should be paid Uh, and maybe uh, this new job will help you out with your financial crisis that you're having. And so you pray and you pray and you send out applications, you send out your resume, and yet nothing. And God seems to be silent. Maybe a loved one gets diagnosed with health issues 
And you know that in the Bible, God calls himself the Lord who heals. And so you pray to the Lord who heals. And you pray, and you pray, and you're filled with hope because you're going to the Lord. But things aren't getting better, they're getting worse. And God seems to be silent. Maybe you have a loved one who doesn't believe in Jesus. And you know that what God says in the Bible, He wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so you pray, and you pray, and yet nothing. God seems to be silent. What are we te- how are we tempted to respond in such times? Bitterness? Entitlement? Rebellion? And one of those three are probably going to fill our hearts. Why? Because when hope leaves, it leaves a hole in our heart and it's going to be filled. And it'll probably, if we let it, fill with bitterness, entitlement, or rebellion. Do you know why that is? Do you know what makes us lose hope? It's when we look for hope in our circumstances. And that's your first point this morning. Hopelessness comes when we look for happiness in our circumstances. Hopelessness comes when we look for happiness in our circumstances. When you think about it, isn't that what Israel was doing? Isn't that what the Jewish people were doing? Uh, As they looked around, they said, here are the circumstances we're in. A king that we don't like is on the throne. We are the eyesore of the Roman Empire, and God is silent. If only our circumstances changed then maybe we could have hope again. For Zachariah and Elizabeth, they were tempted to lose hope. Why? Because they didn't have a child. If, if only they could have a child, maybe they'd have hope again, but they've lost hope because of their circumstances. Or they were tempted to lose hope because of their circumstances. And yet, what was God doing while He seemed to be silent? Working, right? He's working behind the scenes to bring everything to show up at just the right time. Galatians chapter 4 says, When the set time had fully come, God sent His Son. And so while for Israel it seemed like God was silent, He was working. Working for those 400 years, working behind the scenes, making every, uh, everything possible to, that Jesus would come at the exact right time. That He would show up at the exact right time. For Zachariah and Elizabeth, he's working so that he can send them a son at just the right time. And who would that son be? The forerunner to the Messiah. The one who who fulfilled Malachi chapter 4. So what is it that you're going through right now? What circumstances are you in right now that is making you lose hope? What is it that you want to change and that you're praying about that God seems to be silent on? Know that He hasn't forgotten about you. Know that he, has, he, he is hearing you and He is working to show up at just the right time when everything is set into place. That's what happened for Zachariah and Elizabeth. Here's what we're told. Once, 
when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Let's just stop here for a second. Uh, We don't have time to get into all the details here, but this was a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zechariah. Some priests didn't even get to do this in their lifetime. He's a very old man at this time, and he's never done this before. And so what, what all the priests do, they gather outside the temple, and they draw by lot to see who gets to go in and burn the incense, and Zechariah was chosen. So Zechariah goes inside, he's getting ready, and here's what happens. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. So picture this. Zechariah is supposed to be the only one in the temple. He goes in, he's looking this way, getting the incense prepared. He turns around and, ah! An angel standing right there. Not only is he not expecting someone to be there, but an angel, a holy angel from God is standing there. And it caused him to be gripped with fear. And the angel says, Zechariah, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take uh, wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Sound familiar? We just read these words in Malachi chapter 4. God promised 400 years before that he'd send someone to do that exact thing. And here's the angel standing before Zechariah saying, Zechariah, you may be an old man, but God has heard your prayers that you've been praying since you were in your 20s. You're going to have a son, and who is he going to be? He's going to be the one that goes before the Lord. Praise God. How does Zechariah respond? Zechariah asks the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. In other words, yeah... Okay, who sent you in here? Play this joke on me, real funny. And he says, what sign will you give me? That's what he's asking. What sign will you give me? How can I be sure of this? What sign will you give me so that I know this is true? Zechariah, an angel is standing there telling you that you're going to have a child, telling you that he's going to fulfill the promises of God actually quoting God's promises from Malachi chapter 4. This is what the angel is saying to you. Any doubts? It's hard to blame him though, isn't it? How many promises of God do we read in His Word? And we read them and we say, God, I know what Your promise is. I see it here, but my circumstances tell me something different. I would love to believe Your promise, but change my circumstances and then I'll believe Your promises. What sign will you give me that I can believe your promises even in the midst of this circumstance that I'm in? Because I don't see it. What sign will you give me? That's Zachariah's question. Look, what sign will you give me 
to, that I can trust that you're going to change my circumstances. Because here, we're childless, we're old, we can't have kids, and you're telling me I'm going to have a kid. What sign will you give me? Here's what the angel says. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Talk about a, a scary thing. What sign will you give me? How, how, how can I be sure of this? His response, I am Gabriel. And I stand in the presence of God. You wonder if Zechariah kind of went, uh-oh. <laughs> and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Isn't it ironic? God seemed to be silent in Zachariah's life, silent for 400 years for the people, and, and uh, Zachariah says, hey, how can I be sure of this? God says, you think I've been silent? Now you're going to be silent for nine months. Not be able to talk until your baby is born. We sometimes look for our circumstances to change, don't we? If my circumstances change, then I will believe God's promises. And when we put our hopes in changed circumstances, guess what's going to happen? We're going to be hopeless. We're going to experience despair. Because that's not where hope is found. Instead, here's your last point today. Hope comes from trusting God's promises. Hope comes from trusting God's promises. But wait a second. What if God promises me something and He doesn't come through? Then what? But wait a second. What if God promised me something and my circumstances don't improve because here's what I'm seeing and here's what God promises me? How will I know? What sign will He give me? Well, here's the truth that we need to to realize. God is not a human that He should lie, the Bible says. God doesn't lie. When He makes a promise, He keeps His promises. And what sign? When we ask that, thank God He doesn't give us what Zechariah received, right? Maybe some of our spouses wish that uh, some of us would be slapped with that. Uh, Not be able to talk for nine months might be a good thing. Uh, But that's not what He does. Instead, what does God say? I keep my promises. And what's the sign? The child lying in a manger. Baby Jesus born. You want to know how much I love you, He says? Look in the manger. You want to know if I actually keep my promises? Look at the manger. There's your sign. God promised in Genesis chapter 3, His very first promise that He would send somebody to destroy the devil's work, to destroy the evil that was introduced into the world. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years passed, and God kept His promise. And it's the greatest promise that He's ever made to you, that He would destroy the devil's work, sin and death. And He kept His promise, lying there in a manger, 
That baby was born to save you from your sins. That baby was born to release you from Satan's control. See, that baby was born with one purpose, and it wasn't to grow up to invent some great uh, thing. He wasn't born to uh, start some great business. That baby was born with one purpose, and that was to die. And it was to die for you, and for me, and for the sins of the entire world. And that's exactly what that baby did. Jesus grew up, God Himself grew up, And He lived perfectly for you. He died innocently for you. And He rose victoriously from the grave. And that baby, there born, is so that you know that your sins are forgiven. Because that's what He came to do. God says, you want to know if I keep my promise? I've kept the greatest promise to you. I sent you a Savior. I sent you and fulfilled the greatest promise that I've ever made. And it's fulfilled in the manger. Am I going to keep my promises to you? Look. Look at the child Jesus lying there. In Him I keep all my promises. In fact, that's what the Bible says. Here's what 2 Corinthians says. Paul says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. God, you promised me in your word that you're going to take care of all of my needs. Can I actually believe that? Because here's what I'm seeing. God says, yes. How can I be sure? The baby lying in the manger. There I've taken care of your greatest need. Of course I'm going to take care of all your other needs. God, will you actually forgive me my sins? My big ones and the small ones because I'm feeling really guilty about it. You promise that you will. Yes, he says. I will. How can I be sure? The baby lying in the manger, born to you to die for you, to forgive you. God, will you raise my loved one back to life who died believing in you? Because my circumstances tell me that nobody comes back to life. God says, yes, I will. How can I be sure? Because that baby born in a manger was born to conquer death and that's exactly what he did. God, will you actually hear all my prayers because that's what you promised me? God says, yes. How can I be sure? The baby lying in the manger. He's, gotten, he's taken away your sin, gotten rid of it, and now you have access to my throne. God, will you always be with me because that's what you promise? Yes. How can I be sure? Because of Jesus. Because He's taken away your sin. And now Jesus promises, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Our hope is not found in circumstances. If you have your hope in circumstances, you will be disappointed and you will despair. Our hope is in the promises of God because they never change. God never lies. All of God's promises to you will be fulfilled and they're fulfilled in the Christ child. There is your hope. There is your sign. And so this Christmas season... Don't look for hope in your circumstances, in, in family time, in, in gifts. Those are nice things. But your hope comes from the Christ child, born to save you from your sin. Find your hope in God's never-changing promises. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your promises. We thank You for sending Your only Son to take away our sin. We thank You for everything that You've done to us and everything You've promised us. We ask You this Christmas season to help us focus on Your promises and to find hope in those because they never change in this uh, never-ending changing world. We ask You to be with us always and 
Help us to trust you more and more. In your name we pray. Amen.